you know, if you aim for number two, you might land at number eight, right? If you aim for number one, you might wind up number two, but that's not so bad. I always say, you know, if you aim for the moon and the sun and the stars and you fail, you still may wind up with a mansion in Beverly Hills. But if you aim for number two or number three and you're willing to settle, you may fall all the way down to Newark, New Jersey, you know? Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an incredible, exciting guest lined up for you today. This gentleman probably has more energy than I do, and there's very few people I can ever say that about. He's been called the king of Las Vegas gambling. He's been called the Trump of Las Vegas. He is a champion for free enterprise, very much like myself. He's the author of the brand new number one best-selling book, Trump Rules, The Winner's Guide to Business and Personal Success. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Wayne Allen Root. Welcome to the show, Wayne. Hey, Nikki, how are you? I am super excited to be here with you, my friend. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. It's an honor to be on. Awesome. Well, listen, I've been following you and your career and your work for quite some time right now. We've got some mutual friends, including Victor Minash, who's been a guest on this podcast a few times and used to be a client of mine. And I know you very well. But the person listening to the show, they are an entrepreneur. They're somebody who has the guts, the courage to go out there and make their dream and their vision come true. And by doing so, they not only help the people that they serve with what they do, but they help themselves and they help all the people they care about. And they listen to this show because they want to learn from you. But before they can learn from you, they need to get to know you a little bit. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Wayne Allen Root? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm one of the only guys in the world probably who has built um, incredible careers in in multiple fields. Lots of people are successful in one, but very few uh, are successful in two very different careers. I built a career as the king of Las Vegas sports gambling. And for 30 years, literally from the age of 25 to 55, I was the king of Vegas sports gambling. I've got a star, a 180-pound granite star in the sidewalk in Las Vegas, in the Las Vegas Walk of Stars. And the only people who've ever been awarded a star on the sidewalk is is myself and Siegfried and Roy and Frank Sinatra and uh, Wayne Newton and Liberace and Bobby Darren and Fre- and uh, Dean Martin and Sammy uh, Sammy Davis Jr. I mean that's that's the list. It's the legends wow. of Vegas. So I I became the legend of sports gambling and built an amazing career and had over three million clients, uh, all based on a TV show that was a pregame NFL football show on Saturday mornings for 30 years on American TV starring me. And I produced the show, I created the show, and I was the star of the show. And on a typical Saturday morning, uh, I would get about 15,000 to 20,000 phone calls from American sports bettors who wanted to know who to bet on on college football that day and NFL football the next day. So I built this gigantic career. And, and But what no one knew all that, to, and I was writing books and I was giving speeches around the world on success, <clears throat> spoke all over the world. 
And what no one knew about me was that the passion of my life, Nikki, and that's the key to success, of course, is, is energy and passion and being relentless. Those are the three. And never accept no for an answer. And those are my three big ones, my three big rules in life. But what no one knew was my passion in life wasn't speaking and it wasn't writing and it wasn't sports gambling. All of those I love, but it wasn't the passion. The passion for me was capitalism and entrepreneurship and conservatism. You know, in other words, I'm a Ronald Reagan, Barry Goldwater conservative here in the United States who believe very strongly that what, you know, what makes America the greatest nation in world history as far as, you know, money goes and the economy goes and freedom goes. And the answer is capitalism. And so I'm a lover of conservative Ronald Reagan-like politics where I defend capitalism and conservatism and conservative values and Judeo-Christian values. All of that very important to me, American exceptionalism, uh, small business, entrepreneurship, et cetera. So I broke into politics uh, while I was doing this sports gambling thing. I broke into politics. Someone convinced me. I thought it was the stupidest thing I ever heard. They said, you could be the greatest politician in America. You're such a good speaker. You should join the Libertarian Party, which is a third party here and has never had any success. And they said, you should go to the uh, presidential debate in Orlando, Florida. This was 2007. They're having a debate to see who their nominee is going to be in 2008 for president of the United States. And I'm telling you, Wayne, you'll win the thing and you should be in it. So as a joke, almost like on a lark, just to see what would happen um, in America, we say a goof, you know, as, as just, a hey, what the hell, let's try it. I showed up and I got into the debate for the Libertarian presidential nomination. And there were 13 people debating. And I won the debate so handily that the entire crowd voted for me and came to me and said, wow, you know, if you play your cards right, you will be our presidential nominee in 2008. So I, I then began this uh, Don Quixote-like journey, and I traveled to 50 libertarian state conventions, spoke at all of them. And then when the big convention came up in Denver in 2008, had about uh, 1,000 delegates, and it was on national TV, and it may be the third party, but still, it's a significant party in America. And uh, I was just a nobody. No one had ever heard of me other than the people who saw me at these state conventions. But there was a United States senator running for the presidential nomination and a United States congressman running for the presidential nomination. And I was just among a group of like 10 nobodies. So nobody thought I had any chance. And then we did a debate on the stage on national TV. And I won that and I won that debate so handily that the next day when the vote came up, I almost won the presidential nomination. I came just a couple of votes short of a United States congressman. I beat out a United States senator who'd been in office for 30 years and ended his political career. And literally, uh, the presidential nominee who won the whole thing, Bob Barr, U.S. congressman who led the impeachment of Bill Clinton, walked up on the stage and said to the crowd, you know, it's time for me to name my vice presidential nominee. And I can't think of anybody that America would love more than Wayne Allen Root. And I walked up on the stage. We clasped hands, raised them in the air. The crowd went nuts and they voted for me. There were actually a few people running against me for the VP nomination at that point. And uh, and the crowd voted for me and I became a member of a presidential ticket and, and ran for vice president of the United States in 2008. And from that point on, it became a regular guest on Fox News. I mean, like every day and, and one of their favorite guests. And then I decided I was going to really aim to get a national uh, radio or TV talk show. And today I've got a nationally syndicated radio show here in the United States, all politics, all conservative politics. I'm kind of the young up and coming Rush Limbaugh. 
And I've got a podcast. Uh, the National Syndicate Radio Show is called The Wayne Alarute Show, Raw and, and Unfiltered. My podcast is called War Raw, because Wayne Alarute, the initials are war, war raw. I've got a nationally syndicated newspaper column about politics. The podcast is about politics. My book, Trump Rules, is my 14th book. It happens to be about, about business, not politics. But of course, the topic is Donald Trump, who's a great friend of mine. So I, I've really built an incredible career, uh, two incredible careers in sports gambling and in politics. And those two don't go together. So it's a very unusual thing. But my belief in life is you can achieve anything you want to, uh, you know, as long as you have enough energy and enough belief in yourself. And as long as you are relentless and as long as you aim to be number one, uh, you have a great chance to be successful. So I've built a great career. Uh, and, and by the way, I also had a TV show for three years 750 episodes on Newsmax TV, which was the up and coming conservative political network that was competing with Fox News here in the United States. I just left that show in March of last year. So that was three three years of national TV and national radio and nationally syndicated newspaper column and books all at the same time while I was, you know, the number one sports gambler in America. So I've had a really great career and, and I owe it all to Donald Trump because I followed him since I was 18 years old and a freshman at Columbia University. I come from a very blue collar background. I'm an SOB, son of a butcher. And my butcher father <laughs> wore a white apron. Yeah, my butcher Love father it. wore a white apron with blood stains. But he always said, son, you're never allowed to step foot in my butcher store. You're never gonna be a butcher. You're never gonna be blue collar. I won't ever allow you. If you need extra money for a date, I'll just give you the money. Take the time you would have spent earning the money at my butcher store. And what you need to do is study and get straight A's and finish valedictorian of your school. So I did that and I finished valedictorian of my school and got accepted at Columbia University and, and finished with basically straight A's and Dean's List at Columbia and then went into the business world from that point on. And you know, I failed a lot, everybody has, every entrepreneur has. I failed a million times, but you know, one of my favorite sayings is what do you call a guy who owns 10 restaurants and nine of them fail miserably? Millionaire, because you only need one. <laughs> That's it. And that's my story of life, right? I failed nine times for every one success, but I became the number one sports gambler in America and the king of Vegas sports gambling. And I also became one of the top 10 conservative talkers in the United States of America. How someone does that twice in a lifetime is pretty amazing. Even I, sometimes I say you could pinch me. It's amazing. So it's been, it's been a great run and I'm, I'm always going to be the blue collar son of a butcher who thinks like my father. I don't care if I'm worth a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars. I'm a middle-class kid and I'll always be a middle-class kid. And, and that's why I was attracted to Donald Trump because I knew he was the only politician who would ever fight for the average little guy and gal, the average Joe and Jane. He's the only guy who wasn't corrupted by the system. And I'm a big believer in Trump. I believe the election was horribly stolen. Uh, it, it's just so wrong what happened, but he won the first time in the biggest upset in America's history. And then even though I believe he won the second time, let's assume he lost. Doesn't matter. He got 11 million more votes than the first time, despite the worst four years of negative media slander any politician has ever faced or any world leader has ever faced in the history of the world. He added 11 million votes. 
and got the most votes in the history of the American presidency of any sitting president and the most votes of any Republican in history. All things I'll bet, you know, a lot of people have never even heard because the media lies and covers up everything. So I'm still the biggest believer in the world of, of President Trump, who became a friend of mine and, and uh, gave a great quote for the front of the book. And his son, Don Trump Jr., gave a great quote for the front of the book. And Corey Lewandowski, his campaign manager, gave a great quote for the back of the book. And, and I'm, I feel at times like I'm, you know, I'm his right hand man and his, his younger, younger brother. Everyone who sees me says you're a younger Trump. So that's my career. And I wrote a book based on all the rules I learned in the 40 years I've been studying Donald Trump since I was an 18 year old freshman in college. And the top 10 rules that made Trump who he is today and those same top 10 rules made me who I am today. Wayne, there's a lot to unpack out of there, okay? So let me do that methodically, and we're going to get and delve into the book. So first of all, you're speaking my language when you talk about you being a champion of freedom and free enterprise. I'll tell you a little bit about my background. I'm a Christian from Iran, an Assyrian Christian. I don't know if you know uh, about the Assyrians, but we were an ancient culture in the Middle East. We conquered the Babylonians, and in turn, we were conquered by the Persians. We were a warrior race, and we turned out being Christians, and my father and my mother left Iran after the Iranian Revolution because they saw, you know what, things were not going to be going so so good for us. We were living in basically a totalitarian state. And I am so grateful to be living in the free West. And I'll tell you something. When we were in Iran, my dad went to vote in the first presidential election after the Shah was deposed. And he walked in there and he grabbed this ballot. And there was a soldier there with a um, Heckler & Koch G3 uh, automatic rifle. He looked at my dad and said, give me your ballot, took the ballot out of his hand, filled it out and, you know, put it in the ballot box, glared at him and say, thanks, you can leave now. And we came here. So that sort of thing wouldn't happen here. And we believe very strongly in free speech. We believe very strongly in free enterprise. Free enterprise is the most moral, noble system in the world. And inside the breast of human, every human heart is beating the desire for freedom. And to me, every human being wants to be free. Socialism, it just doesn't work. The, Maggie Thatcher said the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. And that's a fact. That's the truth. And that's one of the things that's always attracted me to you and your work and your thought leadership. And I found out about you when I saw your show on Newsmax back in 2017. And I, and I watched a few episodes and I thought, wow, this guy Man, he's amazing. It'd be cool if I could one day get to interview him on my podcast because I'd just been starting my podcast at that time. Little did we know you were friends with Victor Minash. If I don't know it, it's true. I don't want Victor and I, Victor, can you introduce us? Here we are. Here we are. We have a lot in common, you know. I think our our genes are kind of from the same from the same world. Now, I happen to be Jewish, but I took Christ as my savior about uh, 30 years ago. So I'm a, a, what they call a completed Jew, a messianic Jew. I believe in Christ and I'm a Jew. And, and I always find that my favorite people I ever meet are Christians from the Middle East, whether they be Syrian Christians, whether they be Lebanese Christians, whether they be Iranian Christians. Uh, there's just something in the bloodlines of people from the Middle East, whether they be Jews or Christians, that we are go-getters, we are hustlers, we know how to make money, we thrive in capitalism. So I, I hear things in your voice and in your story and in your background that I feel is very uh, kinship, you know, with mine. So, so it's great to, great to hear your story too. Good stuff. Thank you. And 
So the other thing that you talk about here um, is you talk about that you took studying Donald Trump and his methods of success as a blueprint to create your own success. And Correct. your book, you go through Trump's 10 rules for success. So I want to get into those, but just before we do, the name of the show is the Thought Leader Revolution Podcast. We interview top thought leaders. And to me, the, here, here's what one of my guests said as a definition of a thought leader versus an expert. He says, an expert plays uh, cover music. A thought leader plays original music. <laughs> right? You like that? It's really good. Um, and to, to, to me, what makes you a thought leader is that you've paid attention to how to play that original music. And one of the key things that thought leaders do is they find a way to become professionally famous and professionally relevant. So you've done that not in one area, but in two arenas. You've done it in the world of politics. You've also done it in the world of sports gambling. So kudos to you for doing that. But let's delve into the book. Let's delve into the 10 Trump rules. Can we do that? Is that okay if we just go through them one yeah, by yeah. one? Nikki, give me, give me one pause. Give me one minute to just explain one thing before we sure, get to the rules. Of course. Because I think everyone needs to know exactly what those rules led to for me. You know, an, an average everyday blue collar son of a butcher in New York who started with no money, no connections, no nothing. And by following Trump's rules from the age of 18 on, and, and remember, so you know that, you know, this is a real thing. When I was 18 years old, I got into Columbia University, Ivy League school, in New York. And that was 1979. I'm 59 years old now, 1979. And at that exact moment, Donald Trump was building the first major new hotel uh, on, at Grand Central Station in New York in like 50 years. And so he was in the news day and night. And that's how I got to know of Donald Trump. He was in the gospel columns day and night. Him and his wife, uh, Ivana, were the hits and the toasts of New York. And while I was at Columbia, he started building Trump Tower, which was the most spectacular skyscraper in the history of the world at the time. And, and by the time I graduated Columbia, which was June of 1983, he was about to open that amazing Trump Tower skyscraper, and he was the talk of the universe. And then as I was in my formative years, you know, early in my career, building success in the business world um, throughout the 1980s, 85, 86, 87, 88, he bought the Plaza Hotel in New York. He bought Mar-a-Lago in Florida. He was the most famous celebrity in the world at my most formative years of my 20s. So when you wonder, you know, I don't get it. This guy, Wayne Root is saying he's followed Donald Trump for 40 years. You know, how did he know about Donald Trump 40 years ago? If you're not from New York, you wouldn't know. But if you were from New York in the 1970s and 80s, Donald Trump was the guy that every young, hungry, ambitious, hustler, young man in New York wanted to be Donald Trump. And I was one of those guys. I was always hungry. You know, I always say the key to life is to be hungry and I am starving, right? I want to be successful. And once I make a million, I want 10 million. Once I want 10 million, I want 100 million. I agree with Michael Douglas in Wall Street. Greed is good. People laugh about it or they think that was just a movie line. No, greed is what made America the greatest country in world history. Greed is good because if I want a bigger house, 
I'm going to make the builder of that house rich. And I'm also going to make the realtor rich. And I'm going to make the furniture salesman rich. And, and there's going to be five cars in the garage, not one. I'm going to make the auto companies rich. And to, to get all that money, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to hire 500 people. And they're all going to make money. And then they're going to spend the money at movie theaters and restaurants and send their kids to a private school or to college. Everybody gets rich from one guy's greed. And thank God America has a lot of greedy people like me. I see greed as a very positive thing, but I'll use a better word because greed has a negative connotation. I'm a very ambitious guy. Ambition is good. So I took Donald Trump's rules and I became one of the youngest political candidates for major office in the history of New York, 21 years old, the day I graduated college, ran for political office and almost pulled off the biggest upset in New York state history. And I became one of the youngest TV hosts in America at the age of 26. I became the host of five shows on CNBC and I became a best-selling author. And now it's been 14 books later. And then I became the king of Vegas sports gambling. I became a self-made millionaire, by the way, at the age of 29 and bought a house on the beach in Malibu with the waves breaking in my backyard and dolphins swimming by every morning. And then, you know, last but not least, you know, other than my political career and my nationally syndicated radio and TV shows and politics and all that, there's one other thing I need to mention. Just like Trump, I became a reality TV show producer and star. And, and so I produced three shows that all became big hits on American TV, including one of them that's the number one hit in the history of Travel Channel, 18 seasons in a row, the number one show in the history of Travel Channel. And that's, you know, if you watch it at the end of it, it says produced by Wayne Alaroo. So, I mean, I've had one hell of a career and one hell of a run. And, and I wanted to be Jimmy the Greek, the most famous Vegas odds maker. And I wound up on CNBC, his partner on TV, his co-host, me and Jimmy with our own TV show. And I wanted to be Rush Limbaugh. And I wound up as a nationally syndicated radio host, just like Rush. And I wanted to be Bill O'Reilly, the famous Fox host. And then he gets fired from Fox and I get my own show on Newsmax TV. And guess what happens? He winds up hired by Newsmax and they put him on my show uh, three times a week. Three times a week, Bill opens the show with me. So I mean, I've had this incredible, incredible one in a billion career, and every aspect of it sounds like like a smaller version of Donald Trump. You know, I, I didn't start with a rich father like he did and hundreds of millions in real estate to begin with. I started with nothing, so I've never quite achieved the heights of Trump. But hey, he he was president. I ran for president, and I won the VP nomination. And and you know, he did. Uh, host uh, and star in reality TV shows, so did I. And he is a best-selling author, so am I. He was involved in gambling. He owned casinos. I just became the king of Vegas sports gambling. Uh, our careers are so much alike, it's scary. And it's all because I followed the top 10 rules of Trump, which I've now put in a book, Trump Rules. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So before oh, we get and, into and, the- By the way, and Nikki, yeah. I just took my sports gambling company public on Wall Street. So I am now CEO of a public company, just like Donald Trump was CEO of public gaming companies. And I'm CEO of a public gaming company. So, you know, subconsciously, I not only absorbed Trump's rules, I became Trump. It's, it's really quite funny. I've become a mini Trump. And that's what the Daily Beast said the other day. They're a liberal- you know, website, and they compared the two of us. They said, Wayne Root is the Las Vegas version of Donald Trump. So it's pretty obvious to everybody who meets me that my life became Trump's life. It's very funny. It, it, it is funny. And it's, it, 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 it speaks to how you've really absorbed the lessons that, that he taught, the example that he brought for you. But I want to I say something before we delve into, delve into the 10 rules. Okay. So Trump 
wasn't just a, uh, a source of inspiration for every young, ambitious fellow in New York. He was a source of inspiration for folks like me in Canada. Like, my dad was Donald Trump's biggest fan in the 80s. My dad, uh, you know, he was a larger-than-life, old-school guy. He looked a lot like the actor Omar Sharif. I don't know if you remember Omar Sharif, Dr. Zhivago. But my dad was had that kind of persona and presence about him. And my dad... It was involved in real estate development, not on Trump's scale, but he just loved Trump. He loved what Trump was all about, what he was trying to do. And he bought The Art of the Deal back in the 80s when I was just 20 years old, and he made me read it, <laughs> you know? And, and, and so I'll tell you something. He's, he's been a source of inspiration for a lot of people. And th this is one of the things that um, I, I really think is, is such a travesty on the part of uh, his opponents on the left is, you know, they, they, they make these false claims about, oh, Trump's this, Trump's a racist, Trump's that. And it's simply not true. Before he ran for president as a Republican, he won two image awards from the NAACP. They don't give those to racists. I'll tell you that right now. They give those to people who actually do something to help promote African-Americans. He also had so many rappers sing songs about him, you know. The whole rap community is a very tough, masculine, goal-oriented, achievement-oriented culture. And the fact that before he got political, they really loved Trump and wanted to be like Trump speaks a lot. And quite frankly, when he ran for president, you know, he, he got more votes than the last couple of guys uh, who ran for president as Republicans did from the African-American community. And this time, he over doubled the share of the African community's votes. So I got to just tell you, he's an inspiration to people like me from the Middle East, Jews from New York like yourself, African-American rappers, people in South Africa. I mean, I think there's a quote in your book that um, there was a, uh, a driver in uh, South Little Africa. Yeah, yeah, driver. Driver. yeah, yeah, that's right. And he that's said, funny. man, you guys are lucky that you got Trump. So there you go. The, the guy's a huge success story, regardless of what anybody's political beliefs are, and I think he's worthy of study. Yeah, I was, I was giving a success speech in Johannesburg, South Africa. I always called my speeches, you know, sales, marketing, branding, and promotion American style. And I gave them all over the world, and I was giving one in Johannesburg, South Africa, and the limo driver taking me to the airport is listening to the radio, and it's, uh, it, it's a conversation about American politics and Donald Trump running for president in 2015 that he had just announced for president. And I said to the, the limo driver, who's you know, a black South African, I said, what do you know about Donald Trump? Why are you listening to this? He said, are you kidding me? I, I wish I was an American. I wish I could come there and vote for Trump tomorrow because I watch The Apprentice every week. And the guy is amazing. He teaches me about success every single week and he makes me want to be a better person. You guys are so lucky. He's going to be your next president and he's going to make America so great. And he turned out to be right. And it's amazing to me that in America, there were people who never appreciated that just because they didn't like his tweets. You know, his tweets, were they ever offensive? Sure. There were a few offensive tweets. And who cares? My father, the butcher, said it best. You know, what matters isn't words, it's actions. And Trump's words may be offensive sometimes. Yeah. But his actions made America the greatest economy in probably in world history, certainly in the in the 21st century and the 20th century. It was the greatest economy in 100 plus years, maybe forever. And that's really saying something about a great country like America. He made us so much greater because he just knows everything about money and jobs and prosperity. Now, is he the nicest guy in the world? Does he give the most perfect tweets in the world? Does he make fun of people in speeches? Sure. Who cares? It reminds me of business. I had a manager 
a sales manager who was the most successful sales manager I've ever met in my entire life. But he was a jerk. He was an a-hole, as we say in America, you know, and and he was just mean and nasty. And and uh, if you did something you didn't like, he screamed at you in front of everybody. He was basically a Marine drill sergeant and, and made fun of people all day long, a lot like Trump. But the companies that he was manager for all went to number one. And the salesmen, maybe they feared him. Maybe they didn't like him, but every one of them, if you ask them today, this was 20 and 30 years ago, I knew this guy, every salesman that ever worked for him will tell you he made them a better guy. Just like every Marine will tell you their Marine drill sergeant tortured them and they hated him and they were scared of him and they didn't look forward to getting up and listening to, you know, being tortured by him. But they all know he made them better men. And when they went into battle, he probably is the reason they're alive today. He saved their life by toughening them up. That's Donald Trump. You may not like him. You may fear him. uh, But you know he'll make you more money and make you a better person. And that's a message that nobody gave in the media. And it really bothered me because you find me a nice guy or a nice gal. And that's great. That's good for being a mom and a dad. But I guarantee you they'll fail in the sales room. You need a tough son of a son of a butcher. How about that? A tough <laughs> SOB. You need a tough SOB to be your manager in a sales room or to be the CEO of your company. You need a Marine. You don't have to worry about people's feelings. That's not what matters in the business world. And that's that's a problem I've got with today's generation. They seem to think, you know, what matters is how nice you are and how well-mannered you are. And you don't offend anybody. You know what? That's a load of bull crap. All that matters if you want to make money is do you know how to make money? And I know how to make money, and Donald Trump knows how to make money. And I don't think the words he used that offended people should matter to anybody because sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Amen. Amen. Although I will tell you this, since uh, he's been deplatformed and off Twitter, his popularity has actually risen. And I got to tell you, he would have probably been smart to be a little bit more judicious with his use of Twitter. I think he was on a little bit too much. He was overexposed somewhat. There is such a thing as a little as being overexposed. So these last few weeks, he's only made uh, two or three pronouncements, and like everybody wants to know what he means by them. You know what I mean? And his. Rasmussen, which has the most accurate kind of polling uh, methodology out there, they've been the only outfit along with Trafalgar that called the election in 2016 and back in 2020 correctly. Everybody else was dead wrong. Rasmussen has said that since Trump left office and since they took him off Twitter, his popularity has risen by something like seven or eight percentage points. Yeah, well, you know, on, on the day that Trump left office, on January uh, 20th, the day that Biden was inaugurated as president of the United States and it was Trump's last morning in office, Rasmussen had Trump at 51% popularity and the new president, Biden, was at 48%. So Trump was three points higher yeah. than the new president who supposedly beat him, which just goes to show you the election was stolen. Listen, you know what? Uh, at the very least, there was a lot of irregularities that are worth looking into very seriously. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I'm a little bit disheartened that the Supreme Court wouldn't even take the case and listen to its merits. All the folks on the left are saying, okay, okay, the courts the courts dismissed the cases. The courts didn't dismiss the cases. The courts on technicality didn't ever listen to them. Never so listen to any of them. All right, you, but let's you, get off politics because yeah. too many people – 
yeah. offended by politics. Let's sure. talk about the top 10 Let's rules. Let's talk about the top 10 rules. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I agree. I agree with you. But at, at the same time, listen, I was in a country where they stole elections regularly. So, you know, I've seen this thing happen before and I'll just leave it at that. And we want to make sure that over here that doesn't happen. Period. Full stop. End of story. I think everyone can agree on that. So let's go into Trump rule number one, always winning. So tell me about always winning. Well, you know, look, Trump aims for number one and he knows that, you know, if you aim for number two, you might land at number eight, right? If you aim for number one, you might wind up number two, but that's not so bad. I always say, you know, if you aim for the moon and the sun and the stars and you fail, you still may wind up with a mansion in Beverly Hills. But if you aim for number two or number three and you're willing to settle, you may fall all the way down to Newark, New Jersey, you know? And so it's it, it, for those who are not in America, maybe you don't know, but Newark's a very rough town and a very poor town and not one you want to drive through because you might get carjacked or killed. So, uh, you know, nobody wants to wind up in Newark. Trust me, anyone who's in Newark, I apologize, but you know what I mean. You want to get the hell out of Newark if you're in Newark. Just like my dad grew up in Brooklyn, and he said his number one goal in life was getting out of Brooklyn. Uh, dangerous place. So my point is, if you don't aim for number one, you have no chance to ever be number one. And if you don't aim for number one, you may wind up a total, complete loser, and 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 you'll settle for anything. So when you aim for one, it doesn't mean you always win. Donald Trump's had lots of losses, and I've had lots of losses. But we always find a way to turn those losses lemons into lemonade and turn them into wins. So you always aim for number one. You always want to be a winner. It all starts with that. If you're not aiming to be the best at what you do, you have no chance to ever be the best at what you do. And I can say clearly that I'm the number one sports gambler in all of America and the only one who ever got a 180-pound granite star in the sidewalk in Las Vegas. And that's pretty damn cool that my star is around, you know, Wayne Newton and Frank Sinatra and, and uh, Liberace, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it didn't come from me aiming to be number 10 or being satisfied with being a little bit successful. I wanted to be the best in America and I became the best in America. And right now I'll tell you in the, in the conservative talk world, I'm somewhere between the top 20 and the top 10 of everyone in America. That's pretty amazing. There's 330 million people and I've got one of the top shows, but I'm still in that middle level of top 20 to top 10. I'm nowhere near number one Rush Limbaugh. That burns me every day and I'm going to keep fighting till in the next five years, you will hear Wayne Root became the number one talk show in the United States of America. That's Trump's philosophy. There it is. And, and number two, Nikki, as you know, because you've looked at the book and reviewed it, number two is failure. Number one's about always winning. Number two is about losing. But I call it failing your way to the top. And, and that's just about the fact that, you know, w when you fail, and we all do, we all will, uh, you've got to learn from the loss and use the lessons from that loss to become even more successful next time. Or you've got to be working on 20 deals at the same time. And when, when 19 of them fail, it doesn't matter because number 20 makes you millions of dollars. So each failure is just a stepping stone for you to get what you want out of life. And, and I think it's very important. I'm the only guy I know of that ever wrote a book about Trump, you know, that was a positive book about how great a man he is, but included a chapter on all of his failures. I listed every single one of them, and there were a lot of them. I can't even remember how many, like 38, 39 businesses failed, and I listed every one of them. And you I did. was trying to make a point. The guy's a billionaire. 
So 39 failures means nothing. He was involved in a thousand deals, 900 and 900 and, uh, you know, 960 succeeded, 970 succeeded, you know, 39 didn't, who cares? You're not going to hit a winner every single time, but you can't let the losses get in your way. You can't let the losses screw with your mind. And this applies to business. It applies to politics and it applies to sports. You know, the best quarterbacks, they have games and they throw four interceptions, but next week they always come back and have a great game. Why? Cause you gotta be, you have to have the balls and the confidence and the chutzpah, uh, the Yiddish Jewish word chutzpah, it oh, really man. means, uh, the guts and the arrogance to, to dare to believe that this week you'll throw four touchdowns after last week you stunk the joint up and threw four interceptions. If you are scared of throwing another interception, you'll never throw another touchdown. So no matter how many, interceptions you throw, the next time you go out there, you have to wipe them from your mind and you have to have a burning desire to overcome them. And then you have to score the game winning touchdown and they make you a hero and they carry you out on their shoulders, even though you started the game with four interceptions. You've got to have that gunslinger, a cocky, arrogant, or you can't be successful. And that's why, that's what so many Americans, Nikki, didn't like about Trump. He is arrogant. He's not humble. He is cocky. He does believe he's the best at whatever he does. And he does find a reason why the failure didn't matter. And now I'm going to succeed. And that bothers people who accept failure. That drives them crazy. People hate it when they meet me and they failed. And I sit around going, failure is great. I used all my failures to make millions of dollars. They don't like that because they didn't use their failures to make millions of dollars. They failed once and then they took a job. They settled and they spent the rest of their life making 50000 a year because they failed once. Wayne Root says, Haha, I failed 32 times more than you and I'm making millions. So screw you. They don't <laughs> like that. That's got to be your attitude or you will never succeed. It's so tough out there. If you don't have that little bit of arrogance and if you're too humble, you know, I always say you don't want to be humble. You want to scream about your accomplishments from the highest mountains and your talents. I guarantee you that if 20 people go for a job interview and 19 of them are humble, the one who gets the job is the one who says, yes, I'm very smart. I graduated with the best grades in my math class, best grades in my history class. I'm going to be great. I've already studied your company. I know everything about your company. In five years, I'm going to be your top executive and I'm going to make you millions of dollars. That person will get the attention of the CEO and get the job and he'll keep his eye on you and you got a chance to be, you know, the, the future star of his company. And the 19 who are humble will never get the call to get that job. You know, that's 100% true. So it, in my past life, one of the things I did is I worked with some Olympic gold medal athletes. One of them, a uh, Canadian by the name of Mark McCoy, won the 1992 gold medal in the 110 meter hurdles, told me the story of Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson is a great American sprinter who won the 200 and the 400 back in the 96 and 2000 Olympics. And, you know, he used to wear these gold shoes from Nike, right? They actually had real gold in them back then. In the 90s, they were $3,000 a pair. They were super light. And what he'd do after every race is he'd take them off and he'd throw them into the crowd. Nike loved it whenever he won a race. They didn't like it so much when he didn't win a race. So a reporter goes up to him one day and goes, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson, how come you wear gold shoes, man? What if you lose? Huh? Won't you be embarrassed? So Michael Johnson looks at him with this contemptuous sneer on his face. And he goes, I don't think about losing. I think about winning. 
Right. And, and that's the it. only way you'll ever win. You know, you might not win every single race, but the only way to ever be the eventual gold medal winner is to block all losing out of your mind and to absolutely aim for number one. But when you, that was my first rule, right? But my second rule was if you do lose, you've got to learn from that loss and it's got to create a burning desire that next time you win and you've got to learn from it and apply those lessons and win it next time. And, and those are the two things Trump is really good at. And, and because I studied him and I made that my life, those are two things I could say I'm proud. I'm very good at as well. So let's look at rule three, four, and five in quick succession. Okay. Rule three is screw the critics. Rule yeah, four, that's, that's an obvious one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Rule four is the ego rules. And rule five is my personal favorite of all the 10, I got to tell you, is always pitching, never bitching. So let's get into those three. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll be very brief because uh, we've got you know a few to dig into. So screw the critics is simple. You know, watch Trump. You'll, you'll notice I'm right. You know, it doesn't matter how many people criticize him. He doesn't care. He does what he's going to do. And that's my story of life. I learned it from Trump and I do whatever I'm going to do. And I don't worry about the critics. Matter of fact, I laugh at the critics. Screw them. There's not a single statute that's ever been built for a critic. You know, I got a couple of newspaper reporters in America who hate me and they constantly write lousy things about me. And all I could say is they're newspaper reporters. They don't make any money. They're total, complete losers. And they're just jealous of my success. So screw them. They've never in their lives created thousands of jobs like I have and created millions of dollars in revenues like I have and fought the battles of business like I have, they just wake up in the morning and they write something, they type something into their computer and then it appears in the newspaper. Oh, wow, that's impressive. So I just laugh at those guys. That's number one. Number two is the ego rules. I don't need to say much there. I, I think I just explained it a minute ago. You know, you need to have a little bit of arrogance and you don't want to be humble. And, and unfortunately, we teach all the wrong things in school. <clears throat> and I'm sure that's not just America. It's Canada where you are. It's everywhere. You know, teachers know nothing about business success or making money. If they did, they wouldn't be a teacher, right? They yeah. settled for a job where they make 50, 60,000 a year and they know nothing about entrepreneurship and nothing about making big money or taking big risks. And they've never in their lives been braggarts or, or super successful. They don't have a list of things to brag about. So they're very humble and they probably only like humble people. I'll bet you 90% of all teachers in America voted against Donald Trump. They don't like his ilk. They don't like his attitude. Well, they wouldn't like me either. And so, uh, you know, all I could say is that if those teachers understood, they would not be teaching their students that humble is important, teamwork is important. You know what? If there's no I in teamwork. Those are the things you learn in school. Not one of them makes you $5 in the real world. The, the, the reality is that there's also no money in teamwork. The money is in being successful and fighting for your own success because if you don't scream from the highest mountains about how good you are, nobody else will. Nobody ever will but you. And that's why in my career, you know, in TV and radio, uh, Nikki, everybody has an agent or a manager. And I've never for any long period of time ever had an agent or a manager. For short periods, I tried people out. They all failed for me. The only person who could sell me well is me. And every time I heard their pitch about me, I said, wow, they really stink at selling me. I'm going to fire them and I'm just going to go sell myself. I think I'm the only major league uh, TV and radio host in America who's never had an agent. Every job I got, I got myself because nobody could pitch me as well as I pitch me, number one. And number two, your typical agent has 50 clients. 
So if he fails for you, he doesn't care. He's got 49 others, right? He doesn't give a crap about you. You're just one cog in a wheel. But I care about me. If I fail for me, I don't have a backup. So I care about me much more than any agent or manager will ever care about me. And that's why I've never had agents or managers. It's all about selling yourself. And that's the ego rules. You got to have a big ego. I've never met a successful CEO who runs a giant multi-million or multi-billion dollar industry uh, or business or, or product that doesn't have a big ego and doesn't believe that they're the best at what they do. Ego is important. Humble is not. And then I agree, I agree with you. I, I think my single favorite lesson of all time or rule of all time is always pitching, never bitching. I, I'm with you, Nikki. I love that rule. That's awesome. And that's the story of my life. You know, I'm just, if you spend time complaining and protesting, and instead of doing that, you spent your time hustling and working and not complaining, you'd never have anything to protest about. Your life would be so good if you spent all your time just hustling, 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 instead of complaining, complaining, complaining. I can't stand hearing people complain. I'm a hustler and I pitch businesses and ideas and products all day long, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I was born to pitch and I'm not a major league baseball pitcher. I mean a business pitcher. I pitch and I pitch and I pitch and I try to never bitch. Great lesson. It truly is a great lesson. I want to push back a little bit on one point though. I, I, I totally agree with you that you gotta, you gotta be your own biggest champion. You gotta be into self-promotion. I'm really big into self-promotion. I teach that to all my clients. Most of them, frankly, are, are afraid to talk about themselves and how great they are. They're afraid to pitch themselves. But I really believe you need a team. And, and, and I got to believe I think you do too. You, you got to have support staff around you that can help you be at your best because you can't do everything. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was just, a, you know, that line was a little bit misconstrued when I say that because it sounds like I'm saying, oh, teamwork doesn't matter at all. No, what I'm trying to say is you do need a team around you. But let's say you have a team of 10 top executives. And you can't do it on your own. You need those other nine executives. So it's nine executives and Wayne Root. All I'm saying to you is all nine executives need to have ego for themselves to be good in the team. You can't have anybody who's just quiet like a church mouse and they just don't believe they're that successful, or that great. First of all, I would never promote them and make them one of my executives. So they'd never even get in that position to be part of my key team. But if you are part of a team, each one of you has to be pulling for him or herself as well as the entire team or the entire corporation. Otherwise, you'll never get to that level of success, in my opinion. That's all I'm saying. Of course, you need teamwork. No company runs on one guy. You need 50 guys and gals, but all 50 guys and gals should believe in themselves and be little mini versions of Trump in that they love themselves, they believe in themselves, they're a little bit cocky, maybe a little bit arrogant, and they really do, they really believe in their own talents. That's all I really meant. Yeah, agreed, agreed, agreed. Okay, let's go to rules six, seven, and eight, because I think they go together very nicely. And frankly, that's at the heart of one of the major businesses that I run. The, uh, Victor Minash was a client of mine inside the thought leadership business where we taught him all about story, about having his own brand and celebrity and all that good stuff. And he took it to heart. I may, I, I may say and it, it tenfolded his income, which is wonderful. So it's all about the story, celebrity, and everybody needs a brand. Please speak about those. Sure. Number six, it's all about the story. You know, look, Donald Trump is the only politician in history that never read anything from a teleprompter. And he just stood up for an hour and a half with no notes and told a story. Now, I'll admit I'm not even that talented. Uh, I don't need teleprompters and I'm probably as good a storyteller as Trump, but I always need notes. Trump does it with no notes. 
which is just so amazing. I can't believe it. But I'll go to an event and I'll have I'll you know be the keynote speaker and I'll have an hour speech and I just have a pad in front of me with 20 key words or 20 key sentences and I could do a whole one hour speech from that. So I can't do it with no notes in front of me, but but the point is I use a word or a sentence to trigger a story. So my one hour speech is just like Trump's. It's never a teleprompter. It's never written out in front of me. And it's really just a series of stories of my life or stories of other great people who I respect of their lives. Everything's about a story. And when you tell a story, everybody remembers it. So when I used to give, and I, I haven't done it of late because I spent so much time with my, you know, I just took my sports gambling company public and I've got my, my national radio show and it, it takes up all my time. So I have not done a lot of speeches and with COVID, you know, very few people are even booking speeches anymore because you can't put more than 50 people in a room. So I haven't done it in a while, but all I could tell you is when I give a speech, I get standing ovations. And afterwards, people wait in line for an hour to get my autograph or to take a photo with me or to have me sign a book. And every one of them, every one of them comes up to me independent of each of the others. And they all say something they remember about my speech. They'll say to me, Oh, I just love that you're a son of a butcher. And I loved you talking about your father, the butcher, and how much you love him. Or they say to me, I love that you homeschooled your daughter and she made it to Harvard. I love that homeschooled to Harvard story, Wayne. My point is when a speech is over, nobody remembers all the words of your speech, but they remember a story or two. Without a story, you've got nothing. And there's no way to sell anything without a great story. Facts do not sell. People don't remember facts. People are bored of facts. People remember a great personal emotional story. So for me, a one hour speech or a 90 minute speech is like 20 great personal stories that I recite to the crowd. And, and it's not facts and it's not written down on a piece of paper. It's stories of my life and I live them. And people love that and they remember it. And after you've given your one hour speech and you ask somebody, what'd you think of Wainwright's speech? Everyone always has a favorite story. If you could tell great stories, you will make millions of dollars and you will be successful and you will be number one at what you do. So it's very important to always tell a story. Uh, so when I say always pitching, never bitching, the thing you're pitching is a story. In other words, you've got a product. Well, you got to tell a story about that product. Don't tell me uh, the facts about how well it works. Tell a story about someone that used it and it changed their life. That will sell the product. Um, number seven is celebrity sells everything. You know, that's a Donald Trump uh, you know, rule because Donald Trump always believes in celebrity for himself. And he also surrounds himself with celebrity, you know, always around great celebrities. And he knows celebrity sells. Look at how he got elected president. He was elected president because he was a celebrity, a huge worldwide uh, brand name. So it's very important to make yourself famous and to associate with famous people. And if you have a great product, uh, I guarantee you that product, no matter how great it is, will probably never make it if you try and sell it yourself and you're a nobody. You know, your name means nothing to anybody. But if you go out and hire a celebrity that matches that product, that has something to do with that product, that has used the product and they like the product and they tell that story, that product could skyrocket and make you a multi, multi-millionaire. So everything's about celebrity. People stop the page or stop the uh, web or stop the TV channel when they see a celebrity, but they don't stop the channel for a nobody. So you yourself 
at the moment might be a nobody, but the way to make yourself a celebrity is to hire a celebrity to be in a TV show selling your product with you. Pretty soon their celebrity rubs off on you and the next thing you know, you're a celebrity. So like a good example of that was when I got Jimmy the Greek to be the co-star of my TV show. Overnight, that made me the king of Vegas sports gambling. And then Jimmy retired, and, and that was the end of Jimmy, and it was all Wayne's show. And all of Jimmy's fame transferred to me. Same thing with Bill O'Reilly on my on my TV talk show. You know, Bill O'Reilly was on three times a week. That made me a celebrity. That made me famous. That made people stop the dial. It's always about celebrity. And if, if you aren't one, Go out and find someone and attach yourself to them or hire them to be your spokesman. And, and just as an example, even though you're in Canada, I'm sure, I'm sure, Nikki, you've heard of Pete Rose, the greatest American baseball Absolutely. player. Pete Rose. Charlie Pete Hustle, Rose had baby. Most, Charlie Hustle. There you go. Most the, the biggest hustler in history um, and also the biggest fan favorite in history and the most hits in the history of, of all of baseball worldwide. And so uh, when I started my sports gambling company, uh, and I knew I was about to take it public a few months ago. I said, let me hire Pete Rose to be my spokesman. And so I did that. And then I uh, went to a TV studio with Pete Rose and the two of us uh, filmed TV commercials together. And they've been running on American TV for the last four months. And it's Wayne Root and Pete Rose. And so my it. point is, even though I think I am a celebrity, I'm still like a grade B celebrity. Pete Rose is a grade A celebrity. And by having him stand next to me, A, it makes everyone stop the dial and watch the ad. And B, it makes me into a grade A celebrity. So I live my rules every day. I don't just tell you about them. I live them and they really do work. I love it. I love it. Those are fantastic. So the uh, number eight is about everybody needs a brand. And frankly, thought leadership is really about personal branding. So talk a bit about that. Why is that so important for business success in this day and age? And by the way, thank you for including that because having you on the show talk about that actually promotes this kind of work that I do. So it makes it easier for me to sell what I do. Exactly. And, and so look, my name's Wayne and my name's Wayne Allen Root, right? But people don't remember names. You know, you watch TV and then you see the guy in a restaurant and you go, oh, that's that guy. That's the guy I've watched on TV. He's famous, but they don't remember anybody's name. You know, I see actors all the time. I have a great eye, but I don't have a memory for names. I have a great eye. So I'll be walking down the street and in a crowd of thousands, my eye catches one person's face and I go, oh, I know him. I used to watch his TV show, but I can't remember his name. So everyone remembers my name because it's not Wayne or it's not Wayne Alaroot. It's war because my initials spell W-A-R, war. So on my radio show, it's always war this and war that. And every person that calls in goes, war, I'm your biggest fan. Love you, war. And then I walk in a restaurant. People go, war. That's a brand. That's branding. The point of branding is to be memorable. There are three things people associate me with. One is war. They remember that. Two is SOB, son of a butcher. Everywhere I go, people go, you're the SOB, Wayne, oh man. So that's a memorable thing and it's simple and it's three letters. And the third thing is I wrote the book, The Power of Relentless. And all my business speeches around the world about pure business were called The Power of Relentless. And so everyone calls me Mr. Relentless. And so those are the kind of things you remember. I used to give business speeches and then the next year I'd come back for another speech to the same event and the people in the hallway would either scream war or they'd say, Mr. Relentless. 
you know, you need one word or a, or a bunch of little initials that people can remember. That's easy, memorable, simple. And so I've followed that my whole life. And those are the three, you know, war, SOB, son of a butcher and, and relentless. You need a brand. It needs to be simple. Don't make it complicated. Don't make it long. Same thing with a website. If your website's too long, nobody's ever going to remember it. My new public gaming company is VegasWinners.com. How can you not remember Vegas? Everybody's favorite town and winners. Isn't everybody want to be a winner? Nobody wants to lose Vegas winners. Uh, years ago, I had a company in the sports gambling world. It became number one of, of any sports gambling company and it was called winning edge. Another simple phrase, two words that everybody wants. They all want to be winning and they all want that winning edge. They want an edge over everybody else. Everybody knew that website and they all came to it by the millions. Now it's Vegas winners. It's it, see, I'm always associating with winning and, and, and that's my brand winning. Vegaswinners.com. And by the way, tomorrow's the Super Bowl. So any of you listening right now who are into sports betting and want to make a bet on the Super Bowl, make sure that you go to Vegaswinners.com and you click on my winner for tomorrow's Super Bowl. I love it. Unfortunately, Wayne, this show won't officially be out in time for the Super Bowl, but we'll definitely uh, make sure we put it in the show notes for other sporting events that are coming up. Yes. Well, every day there's basketball games, college basketball and NBA every single day. You know, the day after the Super Bowl begins the in, in earnest, the basketball season. And so every day there's money to be made on college basketball games. And I've got usually three to five picks every single day at VegasWinners.com. So it's a great, easy name to remember. And you just circle back there every day and you point and you click. You don't join long term. You don't spend a lot of money long term. Every day you make a decision. Do I want to bet today? OK, let's go to Wayne's website. You point, you click, you get today picks tomorrow you do it again or you don't you skip it till friday and then friday or saturday you do it again vegaswinners.com i love it i love it i love it we'll make sure we put that in the show notes so who's your pick for the super bowl i'm going because no one will see this till after the game right no one will, hear no one this will see this till after the game yeah so I'm, I'm taking tampa bay i've won I've, I've picked 36 super bowls 36 years as a professional sports handicapper, I picked 36 Super Bowls and I've won 72%. I've won 26 out of 36, which wow. is 72%. Pretty good record. But you know, I record. lost 10 of them. It happens. You know, you lose some at the last minute. I got burned last year. Last year was an easy win. And the other team, my team was up by 10. And uh, the other team scored two straight touchdowns in the last few minutes of the game to beat me. Very rare. That never happens. So it was, uh, it was a very tough loss. So should have been a win last year. But I'm taking Tampa Bay plus the three and a half points this year. And uh, I'm betting on Tom Brady, the old man of, of sports to beat the young, the young wonderkind of, uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's an interesting matchup. The youngest hotshot quarterback against the oldest quarterback <laughs> ever to play in a Super Bowl. I'll take the old man. You know what? It's funny. You, you mentioned at the beginning of this interview that you felt there was a lot of kinship between you and I. I picked Tampa Bay as well. That new political website I told you about that I'm writing for, Politicrossing, um, they pretty much let me write about whatever I want, including sports. So I, I, I did my Super Bowl pick, and for the same reasons, I picked Tampa Bay. So there but you I, go. I'm always, I'm always against the public. In other words, if the masses want to bet on something, I'm always on the other side because the masses are always wrong. Uh, they always come to the wrong conclusion. And all I could tell you is I've looked at so many different factors in this game and the vast majority of people are betting on Kansas City and then Patrick Mahomes. They believe the young hotshot's going to win it. A very small percent are betting 
betting on Tom Brady. So I'm always on the other side of the masses. If the masses think Kansas City's going to win by 20, that means Tampa Bay is going to pull the outright upset. And I've got Tom Brady plus three and a half. I got to tell you, I'm not really a, uh, a, a gambler. It's not been something I've done. When I've come to Vegas, I, 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 I take out 100 bucks a night. That's my limit. If I lose it, it's gone. I don't bet anymore. But I think I'm going to go on your website and I'm going to put a $50 bet on this game. What the hell? Oh, no, but you can't bet on my site. That's the thing. There's no bets on my site. I'm not I'm not taking bets. All you pay for on my site is the advice. Oh, and okay. Now, you already know my advice. You don't have to pay for it. Yeah, but <laughs> I'll bet. pay for it next so, time for the next game. Yeah, you got to go to an offshore sports book or a legal American sports book online, and you bet on the game. They take Visa, Mastercard. I don't get involved in the bet itself. Only the advice. Only the Think advice. Think of me as like a, like a hedge fund. In other words, you're not buying stocks through me, but you're getting you're paying for my advice as the brilliant hedge fund analyst who's gonna who's gonna be the great stock pick, and then you might go buy the pick at uh, Merrill Lynch, say or your account at Merrill Lynch got or E Trade or something. Okay. Got it. Got it. I actually have a client who's in that business here in Canada. He uh, he gives advice. He does investment research and he gives advice. So that's pretty cool. Right. Okay, yep. so let's wrap up with the last two rules. Relentless, the power of relentless, which is the name of your book. And the last one is chutzpah. So tell us about sure, that. Num- sure, number nine is power of relentless. I wrote a whole book called The Power of Relentless. It became a number one American bestseller. I think it was uh, August of 2015 it came out. And it was the number one business book in America at CEO Reed and uh, many other places. So that was a big hit. And who was the endorser of that book? Donald J. Trump. He was not president of the United States. Actually, he wasn't even running for president yet when he gave me his endorsement. I put it on the back of the book. But look, I meet people every day who are smart and they got Harvard degrees and they got this and they got that. PhDs, master's degrees, MBAs. Doesn't matter. All that matters is, are you relentless? Do you give up too soon or do you keep fighting? That's the whole key to success. Do you keep fighting? Do you never accept no for an answer? I do so many deals. Uh, I'm not a patient person. I really am an ADD person or an ADHD person, right? You could tell I'm a mile a minute, thousand miles an hour, and I do 20 things at once. I have no patience at all. But for some reason, when it comes to doing deals in the business world, I'm one of the most patient people in the world. I'm like the Canadian Mounties. I always get my man eventually, right? It might take five years, but I always get him. So, you know, as an example, in business, I can't tell you how many people say no to me. And then eventually they say yes, five years later. I keep bugging them and bugging them and hounding them and hammering them. And and I check in with them five times a year. And for five years, I do that. And after that means five times a year for five years, 25 times I followed up with them and gave them new reasons why they should turn around and say yes after the first no. And, And I don't even hear back from them. So I don't even know if they ever read my email. And then five years later, out of the blue, I get an email or a phone call from them. And the CEO says to me, you know what, Wayne? You are the most relentless human being I've ever seen in my life. I've read every one of your emails for the last five years. And I I wasn't in a position to do the deal. It was never personal against you. I didn't have the money or we weren't ready yet. Guess what? We have the money. We're ready. Let's do business together. I so appreciate how good you are at being relentless. And I get that all the time. And it took five years, but I always get my deal. So, you know, you've just got to be relentless. It's the most important trait in business. And you can't take this stuff personal. When someone rejects you, it doesn't mean that you're a horrible person or you have no talent or they think you're horrible. All it means is you didn't have the thing that matched what they wanted today. But if you're confident in yourself and you believe that eventually you'll have something that they want, you got to stay in contact with them and relentlessly hound them nicely, you know, nicely, but let them know why 
they should change their mind and say yes. And I do that all the time. And I, my success rate's unbelievable. I won't say it's 100%, but I'll bet you it's between 80 and 90% of all the people who ever said no to me, I eventually get a yes. So that's the power of relentless. It's really that simple. And then number 10 is chutzpah. And it's funny because the subtitle of the chapter is, is becoming more Jewish. And it really is kind of a Jewish trait. I say it, you know, almost as a joke, but it's true. Jews are, have a lot of chutzpah. And what that means is, my father, the butcher, always said, Wayne, uh, you know, my, I was his son. He said, Wayne, my son, you're going to be a United States senator someday. You're going to be a millionaire someday. You could be president of the United States someday. Jews aim high. No, no Jewish person says, I'm, you know, a blue collar garbage man. Uh, son, you're going to be a blue collar garbage man just like me. The, the trait of the Jewish people is to always aim higher. Every Jewish father wants his son to be better than he is. And, and it's not like it's a bad thing to be a, a policeman, a fireman, a small business owner, a teacher. None of those are bad. They're all wonderful. But you don't, you, I don't think a father should say to his son, I'm a cop. I want you to be a cop. I'm a fireman. I want you to be a fireman. I'm a teacher. I want you to be a teacher. I'm a small business owner. I own a little butcher store. I want you to be a butcher store owner. I think it's much more important for a parent to say, look, I love what I do, but I wasn't given the opportunities that you are given by me, your loving family, your loving mom and dad in this amazing country. You're going to go much further than me. You're never going to be the same as me. You're going to be much better than me. My dad did that every day of my life, and it made me aim to be higher and higher and higher. That's called chutzpah. That's called audacity. And, and I do it every day of my life. I did it with my daughter. From the day my daughter was born, I did radio interviews just like the one I'm doing with you right now, Nikki, just like it. In 1994, my daughter was two years old, and I saved the interview. I've got it. And I said in the interview, my daughter is two years old, but she is so smart. And I'm going to make sure that she understands she's going to Harvard or Stanford, the two best colleges in America, and they're going to fight over her. And she's going to go to one of those two. And the guy who did the interview looked at me like I was crazy, right? The guy called me up 20 years later, 20 years later, and he said, Wayne, I'm going to send you the interview. I saved it. You said your daughter was going to Harvard or Stanford and she was two years old. And, and I read an article in the newspaper the other day about you. And you said your daughter just graduated Harvard. You said it when she was two. Right? <laughs> I, I love it. I didn't even remember the interview. But as soon as he, he said it to me and I played it, I, I remembered it like it was yesterday. Wow. And I always told her, you're going to Harvard or Stanford. Well, guess what? She got accepted at both. Harvard and Stanford and graduated top for class at Harvard. So, I mean, it's always about aiming high. And I, you know, it's a Jewish trait. It's a hustler trait. Uh, it's, it's audacity. It isn't owned only by Jews. I only say that because I'm Jewish and I know that Jewish people tend to be audacious and aim very high and, and they do it in a way that they invented their own word for it, chutzpah. It's a Jewish Yiddish word because Jews tend to do that. And it makes them very, their children very successful. So I think everybody, whether you're Jewish, non-Jewish, Christian, Muslim, I don't care what you are, white, black, Republican, Democrat, everybody needs a little chutzpah in their life. You need to aim to be number one. You got to believe in yourself. You got to hustle all the time. You got to be relentless. And you got to know in your heart that you deserve what you're aiming for. And don't aim to be the president of the company. Aim to be the CEO. Don't aim to be the CEO. Aim to be the owner. Don't just aim to be the owner, aim to be the king of the entire industry. Each thing you achieve, aim higher and higher and higher. And if you miss, the worst that will happen is you'll only be the president of the company. That's not so terrible, is it?
No, it's not. You know what? It's not just a Jewish trait. It's also an Iranian trait. My parents were like this. I'm like this with my kids. Uh, and it, it, it's an absolutely fantastic trait. There's a book I read. I forget the name right now, but it was written by two professors about the traits of three major ethnic groups in the United States. It was uh, the Jews, Nigerians, and the Mormons. And it talked about why Compared to all the other ethnic groups in the United States, these three groups overperformed. And one of the key characteristics was chutzpah. All three groups right. taught right. chutzpah to their kids. It's fantastic. Right. And I, and I would argue that you missed one group, Chinese. Yes, In other words, agreed. the two most successful groups that have ever come to American history on pure income are the Jews and the Chinese. Uh, or, or maybe it's not Chinese. It's just Asians in general. Very, very aimed at success. Vietnamese, very, very aimed at success. Uh, Chinese, Taiwanese. South Koreans, very aimed at success. Very Nigerians intense. are actually number one as a percentage really? of the population. Yeah, it surprised me too. Number one, Nigerians, ahead Wild. of the Jews, never, ahead of the Asians. I know. I, there are not as many of them in the United States as there know, are Jews and I'd Asians. This, this is the argument, Nikki, that you know I laugh when liberals say that people who support Trump are anti-immigrant. I'm the most pro-immigrant person in the world. I rave about immigrants as long as they're legal immigrants. Totally different thing. I am an show immigrant. Illegals, <laughs> right? Show me illegals. I'll show you criminals. I'll show you people that are, are uh, literally on welfare, on food stamps, are a burden to the state. Show me a legal immigrant who fought his way to America or her way to America. I'll show you somebody who is far higher achiever than somebody who was born in America. And studies prove that. Immigrants do much better than people born in America, but only if you're a legal immigrant. And so I believe Nigerians, I believe Jews, I believe Chinese, I believe Syrian Christians, I believe Lebanese Christians, all of them. That's what makes America so great. We love immigrants. It's a melting pot. We're, all the Trump people are pro-immigrant. We just want legal immigrants. Amen. I'm an immigrant to Canada. My family came here legally. We had to wait we, we were in Greece for two years as a way station to get to Canada. When mm -hmm. we came to Canada, we had to agree to invest a certain amount of money and hire a certain number of native-born Canadians or Canadian citizens before they'd allow us in. You know, and, and we did it. We, we lived up to our commitments. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to stay. And I right, and that's the immigrant I want. I want all the Nikki Blues in the world, right? That's what I want. Amen. So I, Amen. that's that's where I stand on the whole immigrant question. I love them. I want more. I hope we bring in more immigrants than ever before, but always legal and always the hungry kind who have some talent and some skills and some ambition and a little bit of money and they can open a small business when they get here. That's what you want in America. That's what made America great. Not, not immigrants who come here illegally, steal someone's identity, go on welfare food stamps and think they should be taken care of for the rest of their lives. Two completely different things. No, 100%. 100%. Wayne, I got to tell you, this is a fantastic book. So looking, uh, I'm going to offline ask you if I can buy uh, uh, 10 of these from you and get you to sign them for me so I can give them to some of my friends and clients. And uh, we're definitely going to put the book in the show notes, Trump Rules. Listener, make sure you pick up a copy of this book for yourself. Make sure you pick up five to 10 and give it to your friends and to your clients. There's a lot you can learn from Donald J. Trump. I'll tell you one thing. I'm the son of a, of a successful rich man, okay? And growing up, my father did a lot of things right, but when I was a teenager, he indulged me and my brothers way, way too much. And one of the things I can tell you, it's very, very difficult for the son of a, a wealthy man to become far more successful than his father. True, Very True, difficult. I Donald Very Trump different. not only matched his father's success, but took it he up a hundredfold by a, by a yep. country mile. 
That is Agreed. super, super impressive. So, you know, Agreed. there's a lot to be learned from the 45th president. So we're going to make sure that we put the, the book in the show notes so that you can pick it up at Amazon and any other place that you buy books. And Wayne, let's talk a little bit more about that, uh, that Vegas odds picking site of yours. Uh, Vegas, VegasWinners.com. VegasWinners.com. We're going to make sure we put that in the show notes as well. So Wayne, we like to wrap up each and every show by asking you as our guest expert, what are your top three, what we call expert action steps? These are your best pieces of advice that my listener can take on and take their life or their business to the next level. What do you say? Well, you know, I I would say relentless is always going to be number one in my heart. The power of relentless is my first big business bestseller. And I think relentless is number one. You just, you know, it's Winston Churchill said, never, ever, 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 ever give up or give in. And that's my motto in life. So relentless has got to be number one. Probably number two is pitching, not bitching, right? We, you and I discussed that. We both love that one. Yep. I'm always pitching 24 hours a day and and try to never be bitching, always pitching. And number three, I'll say chutzpah. You know, I think the fact that my father from the day I was born said, son, you're going to Columbia University. You're going to be an Ivy League graduate. And sure enough, I became an Ivy League graduate. He said, son, you're going to be a United States senator. I wound up on a presidential ticket and I wound up as one of the top conservative talk shows. I'd say my father's drilled into me almost exactly what I became. It's all about your subconscious. You got to believe in yourself and you got to have chutzpah. You got to have audacity. You got to be a little bit arrogant. You got to really believe in yourself, love yourself and believe in your talents and be willing to scream them from the highest mountaintop and always aim for number one. That always falls under the category of chutzpah. So I'd say relentless chutzpah always pitching would be my top three. I love it. I love it. So listener, Wayne Allen Root, a thought leader's thought leader, an iconoclast, a man who has come up and pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. His thought leadership is real. He's learned from the master himself, Donald J. Trump, how to become successful. His book, Trump Rules, The Winner's Guide to Business and Personal Success. It's available on Amazon. Make sure you pick up a copy for yourself. Make sure you pick up five, 10 copies, give it to your friends, give it to your loved ones. There's a lot you can learn from this book. I really enjoyed reading this book. I took on some of the lessons. Frankly, in the last two weeks, my own sales have doubled by taking on a couple of the things I learned from here. And if you're wondering to yourself, this is fabulous. I love being inspired, but how do I become my version of Wayne Allen Root? The answer is really simple. You go to my website, ecircleacademy.com. You take advantage of all the free resources we have there. We've got that report, Six Steps to Succeeding and Growing Your Million Dollar Coaching Practice. It's absolutely free. Grab that. We've got a masterclass you can watch for an hour, which also talks about how you can build a million dollar practice. Watch that. And last but not least, if you're serious, if you're ready to take a step to get to that next level, if you're done dabbling and you're ready to be decisive, there's a button at the top of that website that says, book a free success call. Do that. Fill out the application. We want you to do that just to make sure you are serious and you know you're you're serious and we're serious. We want to make sure we're not wasting each other's time and jump on our calendar and we'll make sure we give you our best. All of this is free. Take advantage of it. Wayne Allen Root, thank you so much for honoring our humble show with your presence. Thank you, Nikki. And and for anyone who enjoyed this interview, I really uh, I, I really feed off of people who say to me, Wayne. 
I listened to you and I heard your lessons and your wisdom, and it really has made a big difference in my life. I love to hear I change people's lives. So feel free to reach out to me. I'll give you my email, anybody and everybody. I love reading every email. I never miss one. WayneRoot at gmail.com. Wayne, W-A-Y-N-E, Root, R-O-O-T at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Uh, you can join my mailing list and get all my co political commentaries. RootForAmerica.com. You can go to my sports handicapping website, sports advice site, VegasWinners.com. Those are the best ways to find me. You can follow me at Twitter, at RealWayneRoot at Twitter, at RealWayneRoot. Those are the best ways, WayneRoot at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Have yourselves a great, great evening uh, or daytime whenever you listen to this. And I hope you get a copy of my book, Trump Rules, and you learn a lot from it. And then let me know, WayneRoot at gmail.com. Thanks, Wayne. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only Wayne Allen Root, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Check out the show notes to take advantage of all the amazing resources that he gave you. And in order to get all the resources that we offered you, go to ecircleacademy.com and make sure that you check out every resource there as well. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.